Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, January 15th. In today's news, dozens of people on the FBI's terrorist watch list came to D.C. on the day of the insurrection. A Justice Department review finds President Trump pushed for child separation despite his denials and dire warnings about what a disaster it would be. And the Secret Service is spending $144,000 so agents protecting Ivanka Trump's house can go to the bathroom. But first, the big idea. Last night, President-elect Joe Biden laid out a $1.9 trillion emergency relief plan in a primetime speech. He's aiming to get GOP support for the measure, although the price tag is likely to be too high for many conservatives to swallow. But after campaigning as a bipartisan dealmaker, he wants to at least give Republicans the opportunity to get behind his first legislative effort as president. He described this as a package of emergency measures that will be followed in February by a broader relief bill that he says he'll unveil in his first appearance before a joint session of Congress. This is a critical time for our nation. More than 4,200 of our fellow Americans died yesterday from COVID, another new daily record. And the economic recovery continues to backslide. Jobless claims have spiked to a new high since August. Nearly 1 million Americans filed for unemployment last week. Biden's proposal is divided into three major areas. $400 billion for provisions to fight the virus with more vaccines and testing while reopening schools. More than $1 trillion in direct relief to families, including through stimulus payments and increased unemployment insurance benefits. And $440 billion in aid to communities and businesses, including $350 billion for emergency funding to state, local, and tribal governments. This proposal will aim to make good on Biden's plan for a universal vaccination program, devoting $20 billion to that goal, as well as $50 billion for a massive expansion of testing and $130 billion to go to schools so that they can reopen safely. Among the many goals that Biden laid out, he hopes to deliver 100 million vaccine shots in his first 100 days, and he wants to reopen a majority of K-12 public schools in that same time frame. Experts warn that Biden could stumble out of the gate because Trump officials have refused to consult and cooperate with Biden's team. The Trump administration has balked at providing access to basic information. Lori McGinley, Amy Goldstein, Lena Sun, and Isaac Stanley Becker report today that it was not until this week, after more than a month of trying, that Biden officials were finally allowed to attend a meeting of Operation Warp Speed, the Trump administration's initiative to accelerate vaccine distribution. But they were also not invited to the two Warp Speed sessions over the weekend when Trump officials decided on sweeping changes to speed up the sluggish vaccine rollout. Nor were the Biden folks briefed on those changes in advance before they were announced to the public. While some of the policies mirror Biden's own plans, others are raising red flags among the president-elect's advisors. One is a recommendation to offer vaccines immediately to tens of millions of people under 65 who have high-risk medical conditions. That's a change that the Biden team fears could overwhelm state supplies and already stressed out sign-up systems, while creating unrealistic expectations for those who are eager to get inoculated. Another new policy announced by the Trump people involving the controversial question of whether to penalize states that have been slower to give out the vaccines was supposed to take effect next week. 
But state officials say they're uncertain about whether to take the new policy seriously or to brush it off because it seems to lack support from the incoming administration. Despite all these challenges, Biden himself and his team have scooped up extensive information about coronavirus vaccine production and distribution from their longstanding contacts who work in pharmaceutical companies. They've also gotten information through back channels from career staff in the government who are working off the clock and using personal Gmail accounts. Jeffrey Copeland, a former director of the CDC under George W. Bush, called what the Trump administration has been doing shocking. He says it is stunning that they have been as unhelpful as they've been. A senior Trump official defended their feet dragging by saying that the United States only has one government at a time. He added that when Biden becomes president, quote, they can change everything if they want to. Biden today will announce that he has picked former FDA chief David Kessler to take over Operation Warp Speed next Wednesday. Kessler, a pediatrician and a lawyer who headed the FDA under George H.W. Bush and then stayed on for Bill Clinton, has been a key advisor to Biden throughout the pandemic. Some good news on the vaccine is that production of both the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines is accelerating, even as companies with experimental vaccines nearing the end of trials struggle to meet ambitious manufacturing targets. This means that we are still on track to have 200 million doses from the companies with authorized shots. That's enough to guarantee that 70 percent of American adults will be able to get the two-shot vaccination by the end of July. That's comparable to the share of adults that polls suggest are currently willing to roll up their sleeves. But doses on paper are different from vials in the freezer or vaccinations in people's arms, as the past few months have demonstrated. Distribution challenges have received most of the attention. Obviously, there's all these stories every day about unused doses stacking up. But the next thing to pay attention to, the real risk, is that there will be raw ingredient shortages, manufacturing delays, and other unforeseen production issues as companies work to scale up manufacturing. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, dozens of people on a terrorist watch list were in Washington last Wednesday for the pro-Trump events. The majority of the watch-listed individuals that day are suspected white supremacists whose past conduct so alarmed investigators that their names had been previously entered into the National Terrorist Screening Database. It's a massive set of names of people who have been flagged as potential security risks. Devlin Barrett, Spencer Sue, and Marissa Lang explain that this watch list is larger and separate from the no-fly list that the government also maintains to prevent terror suspects from boarding airplanes. Those listed on this other list are not automatically barred from public or commercial spaces. But the presence of so many watch-listed individuals in one place, without more robust security measures to protect the public, is yet another example of the intelligence failures preceding last week's assault that sent lawmakers running for their lives and at least five dead. U.S. officials continue to warn authorities nationwide to be on the alert for potential acts of violence at state capitals this weekend, as well as a possible second attack on the Capitol or on the White House next week. There's a high level of concern right now about the possible use of improvised explosive devices. Law enforcement authorities say extremists might use firearms and have been collecting other explosives. They're monitoring online calls to rally in cities nationwide beginning on Sunday. FBI Director Chris Ray told reporters on a call last night that officials are monitoring what he said is an extensive amount of concerning online chatter about events before the inauguration, including at state capitals. 
New Mexico's governor has just declared a state of emergency there. Some of the right-wing activities planned in Washington have been canceled. The massive show of military force appears to be deterring the less hardcore of the extremists and those who don't want to go to prison from showing up. As a precaution here in Washington, authorities continue to expand the security perimeter. All or most of the National Mall is expected to be closed to the public next Wednesday. More closures are going to be announced later today by the National Park Service. Federal security officials have asked Virginia to shut down all bridge crossings into downtown D.C. from 6 a.m. on Saturday until 6 a.m. on Thursday. And the FBI's Sedition Task Force continues its massive national manhunt focused on rounding up anyone who was part of last week's insurrection. Last night, federal agents in Arkansas arrested Peter Steger. The 41-year-old is accused of using an American flag to beat a D.C. police officer who arrived late in the afternoon last Wednesday to support Capitol Police and to try to regain control of the complex. Video from the scene shows the officer being dragged down the steps as he's attacked by multiple members of the crowd. Steger was identified by two informants who saw video of him at the Capitol, including a clip in which he declared on video, quote, everybody in there, pointing at the Capitol, is a treasonous traitor. Death is the only remedy for what is in that building. Another man arrested in last night's roundup is himself a former public safety official. Authorities allege that Robert Lee Sanford, 55, who recently retired as a firefighter in Chester, Pennsylvania, threw a fire extinguisher at Capitol Police officers. There are lots of others who are getting arrested, too. The feds have nabbed a guy in Utah who they said had a large cache of ammunition and had threatened to kill Nancy Pelosi. They got a woman in Cleveland who's a school therapist, a school therapist, and was photographed sitting in the presiding officer's chair in the Senate chamber. She's also a devoted QAnon adherent. But this is my favorite headline of the day. The guy who flew a Confederate flag in the Capitol has predictably surrendered. Oh, and Delta Airlines also has just announced that any customers involved in those incidents that targeted Mitt Romney and Lindsey Graham at the airports last week will be permanently banned from ever flying again on its planes. Delta has also put 880 people on its no-fly list for not wearing masks or other unruly behavior related to the unrest. Number two. This has obviously been a nader of the Trump years, but there are so many dark chapters that will forever define this president's legacy in the history books. One of them was the family separation debacle. Yesterday, the Justice Department's inspector general issued a long-anticipated 90-page report about what happened in 2018. Trump and then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions barreled forward with their zero-tolerance crackdown at the border, knowing full well that the policy would separate migrant children from their parents and, despite dire warnings, that the government was ill-prepared to handle the consequences. The damning report says Trump's appointees at DOJ were the driving force in making sure that the Department of Homeland Security aggressively prosecuted adults who were arriving with children, findings that cast doubt on repeated denials by Sessions and others that they never intended to separate families. The IG says the bureaucratic chaos and trauma for families that resulted from the Trump policy were all anticipated in advance, and they did it anyway. Sessions at one point told U.S. attorneys along the border that, quote, we need to take children away. 
Sessions declined to be interviewed for the report by the inspector general's office. Former Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who also pushed for those prosecutions, expressed contrition in a written statement issued through a spokesman after the report came out. Now, during that crackdown in 2018, the Trump administration took more than 3,000 children away from their parents. Some of the mothers and fathers were deported while their children remained in government custody. And in the ensuing chaos, the government had no plan to reunite the families. Now, more than two years later, it's 2021 now, attorneys representing the families say they have been unable to contact more than 500 of the parents whose children were taken from them. Put another way, 500 kids are waking up this morning without their moms and dads because of this administration's actions. Number three, speaking of children, instructed not to use any of the half dozen bathrooms inside Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner's D.C. mansion, the Secret Service detail assigned to Trump's daughter and son-in-law spent months searching for a reliable restroom to use while on the job. After resorting to a porta potty as well as bathrooms at the nearby home of Barack Obama and the not-so-nearby home of Vice President Pence, the agents finally found a toilet to call their own. But it came at a steep cost to you, the taxpayer. Since September 2017, the federal government has been shelling out $3,000 a month, more than $100,000 to date, and more than $144,000 by the time the lease expires in September, to rent a basement studio with a bathroom from a neighbor of Jared and Ivanka. A White House spokesman denied that Trump and Kushner restricted agents from their 5,000-square-foot home and claimed it was the Secret Service's decision not to allow the protective detail inside. But that account is strongly disputed by law enforcement officials familiar with the situation who say the agents were kept out at Jared and Ivanka's insistence. After initially declining to comment, the Secret Service issued a denial eight hours after our story posted, but it read like it might have been put out under pressure. Peter Jamison, Carol Lenig, and Paul Schwartzman, who broke the story, say that a Secret Service supervisor from the Ivanka detail left an unpleasant mess in Obama's bathroom at some point in the fall of 2017. That prompted the leaders of the Obama detail to ban the agents up the street from ever returning to use the former president's bathroom. The agents assigned to the president's daughter and son-in-law then began driving a mile to go to the Naval Observatory, where Pence lives. This is all just part of a pattern with the Trumps. Ivanka, Eric, and Don Jr. have been using their security details to enrich themselves and their family business. The Trump Organization has charged the federal government at least a quarter of a million dollars for agents to stay in Trump hotels when the three of them are visiting. But come next Wednesday at noon, Trump will no longer be our president. And signs here in Washington about that change are all around, including right outside the president's own window. Yesterday, workers began hanging bunting that reads Biden-Harris inauguration from temporary stands that have been erected right across from the White House North Portico. It's visible from the president's bedroom. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, January 15th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Stay safe this weekend. I'll talk to you on Monday.